Well, you join us today in our local woods, which is quite fitting really, because today the episode is all about forestry. That's right. We're joined by two young lady foresters today. Mima Letts from the Chatsworth Estate. And Lacey Rose, city forester from Ontario, Canada. Now, both of these girls have quite diverse paths into forestry and they do quite different things in a way. So, so Sharon, tell us about uh, Mima first. Well, Mima, when she was a student at Bangor University, thought, well, why don't more people know about this fantastic course? So she and her friends set up a social enterprise called Tree Sparks to ignite conversations about trees, aimed at 15 to 19-year-olds. And it's, it's just been so inspiring. And how about Lacey? Well, Lacey's a city forester in Ontario, Canada, and she also started Women in Wood, which is a website which helps women who work in forestry chat together and, and be inspired by each other. So it sounds to me like they both actually, they're trying to get other people in the industry, which is obviously, so it's a thread that runs through all these podcasts so far. Um, sounds fascinating. I think we should let them get on with it. Hello, this is Sharon Durden-Hollenby, and you're listening to Tree Lady Talks. All music and production is by Noel Durden-Hollenby, and all views expressed by me or the interviewee are our own. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Lacey, um, you're a very prominent lady in the world of forestry beyond Canada itself, but... Tell me, how did you first get involved with forestry? So I actually grew up in Labrador, which is a very uh, isolated northern Canada uh, where there was no forest sector. So I didn't know what forestry was when I was growing up. I definitely spent a lot of time in the woods uh, at the cabin with my family. Uh, But I didn't know that. I actually thought cutting trees was a terrible thing when I was a kid. So it wasn't like a natural (laughs) career path for me. Um, Yeah, but I knew I wanted to go to university and study something. Um, I was really into wildlife and I was lucky. I did a general year at my local college before going to university and I had a professor there Mm -hmm. who was like, oh, you seem like you'd be interested in working outside. So he said, have you looked into forestry? And I said, I don't know what that is. So (laughs) I looked into it and uh, the University of New Brunswick had a forestry program and they were advertising a 95% post-graduation employment rate. And I was like, yes, that is wow. what I want to do when I finish. Oh, that's great. And were any of your family surprised or your friends surprised? Because you are a very petite lady, aren't you? Yeah. You me saying yeah, so. so I didn't really know that it was a male dominated or like a burly lumberjack impression. You know, I had like no yeah. preconceived ideas about forestry. So um, I think like my family and friends were kind of like, oh, okay, so you're going to be working in the woods. That's interesting. But they didn't know what forestry was either. So um, off I went. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And how about you, Maima? You went to Bangor University, didn't you? How did you find out about that course? Um, well, it was complete accident, really, a happy accident at that. But um, I kind of went to a very academically orientated school. Um, and I wasn't the most academic of people, but it got to that stage where we were ending school and everyone was going to uni. So I was like, oh, I have to go to uni. And I can't say, looking back, maybe it wasn't the right choice, but I, I was like, oh, if I'm going to uni, I'm definitely not 
doing a course where I just sit inside because it really doesn't suit me. And I looked into yeah. countryside management. I knew I just went to the outside. And then on a, a UCAS search, forestry popped up. And I didn't have a clue what it was, but I was like, ah, oh, there's a course in Wales. It's four years long, away from the parents, learning about yeah. trees. I thought, yeah, no, that sounds pretty good. So I went to an open day, thought, yeah, like this, I'm going to go. And um, yeah, I, I went, did my first year of study and it completely changed my thoughts, conceptions, everything and kind of everything I'd thought about in terms of future life went out the window and I thought this is amazing and that's kind of just right it's changed my life really but it was a very happy accident so. Oh that's brilliant and I know that you've been a very public figure as well at Bangor University which you've now left Um, but we'll come on to your social enterprise a bit later on but um, Myma, what did what have you been doing since? Where where do you work now since graduation? Um, so I graduated. It was a year a, a year and a month ago. So thirteen months ago, I graduated, and I managed to get myself a one year position on the Chatsworth Estate in Derbyshire, working as a trainee forester in their forestry department. Um, so I kind of rocked up there, having not really ever had any practical experience in forestry. I've just done the stuff in the lecture room and all the theory and. I had a great time. It was an amazing year and I learned loads. I had a really, really great boss, a really supportive team. And as you know, really lucky to work in the state. So I didn't just get to, it wasn't just forestry. I, get, I got to learn about general land management. I got to learn about dealing mm-hmm. with tenants and the more arboricultural side of work. Um, and I was very lucky that last month I was asked to stay on. So now uh, I'm one month into being the, the new assistant forester. So, um, yes, not oh congratulations so yeah excellent and Lacey you work for the municipality don't you tell us about your your day job and what you what what does it mean to be a forester because we might have some people listening who think it's all about cutting down trees and that's a bad thing tell us about what you do yeah so I'm the county forester for this area for the county of Renfrew and I've been doing the role that I'm in now for, wow, more than eight years um, working for the county. And in terms of a, a forester job, it's pretty hands-on. You know, a forester can mean so many things, but in my case, it means that I'm involved in every aspect of sustainably managing a forest. So that means I'm out in the forest collecting data to write forest operation prescriptions if it is the right time to do a harvest in a forest. I'm looking for wildlife values to protect during that forestry operation, mapping them and writing the uh, protection measures that must be applied. I I physically mark trees that are to be harvested or protected. So every tree is getting Mm -hmm. evaluated out there. It's really Um, hands-on. And then if there is a forestry operation take place, I'm out there very frequently checking and making sure that they're following all the rules that have been set. Uh, and then any regeneration work that happens after I would plan and make sure that that gets done. So either making sure that the trees are growing back naturally or doing tree planting activities and monitoring yeah. it from then on. So it's really cool to be involved in all those uh, time and and actions to learn from what you think is going to happen to what happens and and really see the forest change and develop over time. Um, so what about, um, you talk about natural regeneration and planting, what sort of rates 
is of woodland regenerated by natural regen or, or, or if you're going to plant, what species do you choose? Mm -hmm. So in the forest that I work in, about 17% of it is planted red pine in abandoned agricultural fields. So those mm -hmm. mostly would have been planted in the 50s and 60s. And those were planted as a, as a way to bring that area back to a natural forest condition. So we're trying to get natural forest regenerating under that. So when those trees get harvested, we have this natural forest type underneath. So white yeah. pine and red oak are the, the desirable ones. <laughs> we often end up, yeah. actually, we end up with like sugar maple and some growing underneath. So that's like another thing I'm looking at when I'm out there is to, are we getting what we hope? Uh, are we going to have to do more work? And then like right now I have a harvest operation and I know that uh, this word can be a bit touchy with some people, but it is, it's a clear cut. And that's because yeah. it's poplar. A uh, majority of the forest is made up of poplar, which is a shade intolerant mm -hmm. species, needs full sunlight to regenerate. So they're still there mm -hmm. working. And the area that they've cut two months ago already has two feet tall poplar growing back in it. I'm not surprised, actually. <laughs> yeah. And what are, your, what are the primary objectives of managing the state's forests? Yeah, so... You know, obviously it's a revenue generator for, oh, did you just ask me about that or my? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, so, I did. What are, the, yeah. what are the primary objectives of the state managing their forests? Is, yeah. it, is it revenue? Is it nature conservation? Is it recreation? Or is it all of those things together? Yeah, it's all of those. So we have a 10-year strategic uh, forest management plan. And obviously we're managing for what every forest is managed for, social, economic, and ecological objectives. So revenue is generated for the county, which funds our program. Um, we're protecting wildlife and also creating different types of habitat through management because we suppress fires. Um, you know, this is the way that the forest is regenerating itself is through our activities. And there is, they're also open for public use. So people hunt in them, people hike in them. Um, they get used for all kinds of things. So. Oh, that's good. So do you have areas where um, there's waymarking and areas where you encourage people to sit and reflect and have you noticed if, if so have you noticed an increase in people doing that during the coronavirus outbreak to get some solitude yeah so in the larger geographic area i work in it's about uh, half of the area is owned by the provincial government so there is like no shortage of public land in this area so the county yeah. is such as it's like less than one percent of the geographical area so most people would hang out yeah. on crown land because it's more abundant and like maybe closer to where they live but we do have a couple tracks that are really heavily used uh one of which we just thinned the red pine one of the red pine plantations uh so we had to close some of the mountain biking trails for a couple weeks uh but it's remarkable yeah. to see like how careful the operators were to not damage the trails so that would be like a quick cleanup and get them back open but i've definitely noticed more people out and about in the last four months yeah i think there's a real move back to nature to help us cope with the stress of these really difficult times mm. and and mima um tell us about being an assistant forester at chatsworth house it sounds very grand what's your day-to-day -day job like now? um it's it's really varied actually um i think i'm very lucky to get really wide exposure to i obviously have my fair share of time in the forest away from people um doing all the things i love um but it's kind of almost having done a trainee year it's, it's quite nice to almost follow a it's, it's kind of like a cyclical pattern you kind of find yourself doing the same things kind of the same time of year 
with a lot of variation in between. So at the moment, um, we're busy doing our stock density plots. So we're going out to check all of our restock sites and our new planting sites to make sure that the, you know, we've got enough, enough trees in a certain area and whether we're going to need to beat up the sites, where we're going to need to plant more trees because we've obviously had, we've had quite a lot of droughts after we planted, um, which is we've actually lost quite a few of our younger trees. Um, yeah. But then, you know, above and beyond all of that, we've got things that we've got felling operations ongoing. Um, so, and we do, we're really lucky. We do quite a lot of continuous cover forestry on the estate, which makes the planning a lot more interesting. Um, and we do do some clear fells, mm -hmm. but being in a national park, having, you know, having iconic landscapes, it makes clear fells and things not always the right choice for us. So we've been able yeah. to do loads of things like um, group shelter woods, where we've been able to go into a site. We've taken out a lot of tonnage in terms of timber. But when you're driving through the parkland, you can't even see that we've, we've been in there, which I think is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's loads of other things. So one of our most kind of iconic woodlands is the, it's called Standwood, and it's the wood that provides a backdrop to the house. Um, yeah. And so obviously that's, that's a huge point of interest to many visitors. It's right near the main car park. It's free to, to enter. And it's a wonderful woodland. It's full of history. It's got loads of, of ancient veteran trees. Um, loads of historical features and, and water features from, from Joseph Paxton's times. Um, yeah. Something I think we as a department are working on trying to be better engaging with the public. Um, we kind of, we yeah. don't want to be hidden. We don't want to just be these moody guys that work in the private forest. We don't go near the <laughs> We don't, you know, we're trying really hard to encourage or to just, just help people understand why we do what we do. Um, and that yes, we've got areas of the estate which are for commercial felling, they're planted with conifer species, and we sell the timber, but then we've also got areas which are just, they're ancient woodland sites and we leave them alone. We have loads of deadwood, we've got, you know, it, it's a real mix of things. And I think across the estate, I'm really lucky that we've got almost every single type of, of woodland you can think of in the UK. You know, we've got like ash ravine woodlands, which of course at the moment are quite that you know we're having to think really carefully about what we're going to do because of ash dieback and yeah yeah so there's there's just loads of things going on and it's it's really 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 fun i think is the way that sounds brilliant so with the continuous cover forestry i wonder if you could just explain what that is for somebody who doesn't know what that term means yeah so um when you're working when when we use the word continuous cover we're talking about the canopy so if you imagine you're on Google Earth and you're looking down at a picture of a forest. So the canopy is, is, you know, is the green, green tree leaves that you can see below you. Um, and when we talk about continuous cover, it means that we go in and we take out trees, but there's always a, a cover of canopy. So you're never going into, say it's a square shaped woodland. If you're going to go in, you wouldn't fell all the trees because then the canopy would be gone. So continuous cover just means that you're not taking out all the trees in one area. So Sometimes mm -hmm. we'll go in and we'll take out a tiny, a smaller group, just a corner or in the middle. Sometimes we'll take out strips, so um, mm -hmm. kind of, well, not a zebra, but that kind of, that kind of design. Sometimes we'll just go in and take out one or two trees, so areas that are really sensitive, or if you've, you know, maybe there's just one or two trees that don't quite fit. So if you've got an ancient woodland site, but it's got a couple of large trees in the middle that you don't want to be there, you go in and mm -hmm. take those out. Um, so it's about just maintaining a cover of trees while still extracting timber. I think it's how to describe it. 
Yep, that's really well explained. And do you have any areas of natural regeneration, say in the, the ancient woodland with the veteran trees? Do you have a lot of natural regen? And, and if so, is it the sort of species that you're looking for? Do you have to do any eradication of, say, non-natives, for example, um, like rhododendron? Yeah, so we've, we've um, well, I, again, the, the woodlands kind of that are behind the house, when they were originally all planned, obviously the house has got very elaborate gardens and it, it borders onto a parkland, mm-hmm. which is quite different to, to kind of what you class as a forestry forest, a productive working forest. Um, but back in, you know, back when the gardens and, the, and the, the wood were designed, the woodland was kind of seen as this extension to the gardens. And so we've got a lot of, um, it's obviously mainly a, a hardwood forest, so it's mainly native broadleaves, oak, sycamore, ash, sweet chestnut, things like that. But obviously it's also got um, a fair few kind of what you'd think is, is they're, they're called specimen conifer trees these really weird you're walking mm-hmm. on suddenly there's a monkey puzzle or suddenly there's some you know yeah. some random um, conifer trees and so for that bit of woodland we're leaving them in because they're they're a really nice addition to the woodlands and they fit with the theme um, but it also does mean we've got areas of really dense rhododendron which is obviously put into you know it used to signify wealth and something exotic and all of that but now it's obviously causing a problem in terms of um, shade cover and it, it harboring diseases for trees so that's something we have to go in and remove um, and when we think about regeneration um, there are some areas once we've kind of felled we we want to rely on natural regeneration rather than planting so we've just done a seed tree felling which is another kind of continuous cover so we've gone in mm-hmm. and it's an area of spruce and oak we've removed all of the spruce but left the oak trees so we've left the best yeah. oak trees so they're really straight trees got many branches, a really nice kind of rounded canopy. Um, we hope yeah. that when the, the oak trees drop their acorns, oak will then, it will form an understory of oak. And so that mm-hmm. when the other oak trees are mature enough, we can go in and, and take out the larger oak trees and leave behind this legacy of, of more oak trees to come. Um, across all of our sites, we get natural regeneration as well as the stuff we plant. And sometimes it's a case of just respacing it so if you've got too much natural regeneration in an area you go in and you just move the trees around to make sure that they're not going to crowd each other out um but it's it's nice that we've got that option and we can use it as a as another way to to kind of keep the diversity of the woodland and also the genetic heritage as well you're actually growing trees that that are suited to that area because they're coming from the parent tree so that's brilliant you're listening to tree lady talks with Mai Millettes from the UK and Lacey Rose from Canada. I wonder really with both of you about community engagement. So back to you, Lacey, working as a city forester, do you have programmes where the community can get engaged with the woodland and the forest management at all, um, other than just walking or, or biking through? Any educational activities, for example? Yeah, so that's uh, the part of my job that I enjoy the most, I think, is um, I call it like education and outreach. So I do go to classrooms off pretty often when, whenever requested mm-hmm. and talk to kids of different ages about what forestry is, what we're doing on the county forests, uh, and maybe jobs that they might think about when they grow up that they might want to do in the forest sector. Um, Also, over the last five years, we've really upped our game, like as a forestry community in this area, getting kids into the woods to learn about forestry. So for the past five years, we've uh, partnered with an organization called Forest Ontario that brings whole classes into the woods. And we've done a couple different variations, like 
either taking them to an active harvest operation so they can see that happen, mm -hmm. talk to the operators, and then a mill to see what happens to the wood after. Or we and yeah. a little part of that, and alternatively, we do forestry skills and then visiting a mill. Mm -hmm. So you know the teachers that have come keep coming back with their classes every year. So we've got quite a few through that. I'm also uh, lucky to sometimes be involved. We have a outdoor education center here, the Shaw Woods Outdoor Education yeah. Center. And uh, a couple times throughout the year, we kind of have like forestry days. Um, they bring more than 3,000 kids a year through their education wow. center. Um, so it's become a really big pillar in the society. And it's actually owned by uh, like a mill family that I think is five generations operating a mill in this area. But they want that land mm -hmm. to be used to teach kids about forests, not specifically forestry, oh, but just like brilliant. nature in general. So yeah, like it about the it's big big time about the youth. Uh, we have like National Forestry Week in Canada. Oh yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so you know, different places all over Canada are kind of organizing activities, and one that I've done a past couple, I think it's three or four years now. Uh, this was a attempt to get the non-converted out. Uh, I have a couple mm -hmm. friends who are yoga instructors, so we did a hike and yoga uh, event during National Forestry Week. So then I get to talk about forestry on a guided hike through an old yeah. growth forest, um, and then my friend teaches a yoga class outside so how fabulous. people come for the yoga but then they they have yeah. to listen to me talk about forestry first so it's yeah a, it's a good way to get a non-traditional audience out there um and then as far as like the county goes we do you know we have like public reviews of our forest management plan um but people mm -hmm. are you know they're used to forestry around here we don't really have a lot of um issues with engagement. I, I deal with people mm -hmm. ongoing, like on an ongoing basis, if they have any concerns or comments or the mm -hmm. most common one questions we get are, uh, can I hunt on county forests? Is it okay if I hike here? That kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. You don't have any um, ob objections about felling timber extraction at all from members of the public, or is it just so part of the culture there in Ontario that it's just a given that that's what happens? Uh, strangely enough, so in general, in rural areas is not where you would get the opposition. You know, occasionally there people have questions and adjacent landowners would like to talk about it and make sure that, you know, mm -hmm. their interests are protected um, and that they'll still be able to enjoy it. They just, it's more of an education uh, progress, but very often um, environmental groups located outside of these areas are the ones mm -hmm. raising issues in Ontario about forestry and a lot of the information that's presented is is not correct you mm -hmm. know from a forestry professional's perspective um, and that's where we really need to up our education game as forestry professionals about getting the correct information out mm -hmm. there so that the public doesn't get misinformed Yep, absolutely. And that's part of the reason for this podcast series is to let people know about the jobs that you do. And, and Mima, you talked also about upping your game with community engagement because you have a lot of visitors to Chatsworth. It's an absolutely stunning property, isn't it? It's really quite well known. Um, so what have you got planned and what sort of engagement do you do? Um, well, we've we've always been keen. Um, my current boss, John Everett, has been been here at Chatsworth for the past, I think, four or five years. So since he's come, he's been really keen to. He's like me. He's really keen to to share what he does because he's passionate and 
and I actually love what I do and I think it's a shame that more people don't understand the work that we do and why it's important. Um, so one of the big things I'm working on at the moment is um, the one of our, you know, some of our open access forests have got loads of trails through them and you're walking along and you're thinking, oh, there's this type of tree and oh, I wonder if I know about the history of this pond and, and you kind of, mm-hmm. it's, I, I want to try and unlock the knowledge for people that, that, you know, might not necessarily know anything about trees and so something I'm working on is creating a, an app for visitors to Chatsworth so they can come on, they can look at the footpath network, how it links in with other mm-hmm. bridleways and network, you know, footpaths across the Peak District and to, to kind of unlock what they're seeing so they can walk past the veteran tree and it will bring up information about its age, its provenance, you know, things about the history of the trees. So you've got things like ash trees and, and stuff about how their seeds used to be used to make tea and to cure cattle of, of, of foot rot. And I, I think something like that I'm really excited to be able to be a part of and to be able to do as part of my job is to just help people understand what we do. Um, and something else yeah. that we've been a part of was um, Google did an expedition series. They, they brought out um, 360 cameras to come and film and take pictures of some of the some of the day-to-day jobs you do so part of oh, their yeah. expedition series we've got um, some miniature tours we've got one of our arborist Chris who's up a tree doing the dismantle which is just incredible when you're mm-hmm. in a tree in the park of Chatsworth and you can see all around you and he's just at the top of this tree um, chilling out as he normally does we've got things like watching a timber wagon load up timber again it's not something really people really think about you know you fell the trees as well how do you actually get the timber off the site and to yeah how to use it um and so that's been really fun um we've also been really lucky that chatsworth being the, the kind of iconic location and heritage feature that it is is that we've had we get a, quite a bit of media attention mainly for the house and for the family and all of that stuff but obviously last christmas we were lucky to be on the tv and and during the extended edition, we got to talk a little bit about our harvesting activities. We got to show one of our harvesters on the television, which again, I think they're absolutely incredible machines. And it's not something I'd ever seen yeah. before I came into forestry, apart from like Lego sets. And to see them working in real life is just mind blowing. And I still love going to active sites. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're lucky that we've got loads of different channels to be able to share what we do. So. And moving to you two personally, you've both been real inspirational ladies in the forestry field. So, Lacey, you're involved with Women in Wood, um, which is a way of ladies getting together and sharing their work experience. Tell us how that's going. Yeah, so uh, Women in Wood has been uh, active for more than five years now, and it's basically a networking group for women who work in, with, and for the woods. Um, And we started out just... uh, me and my friend Jessica Kaknavicious, we were like, ah, we're usually the only women at these forestry events. Why don't we like start a rebuttal to the old boys club? Yeah. Um, but it's really grown a lot since then. So we're up to more than 1,500 women in Canada, the U.S., and the U.K. and oh, beyond. Wow. That's brilliant. And it's really just uh, women supporting each other, women uh, inspiring students and young women to choose a career in forestry, mentoring yeah. and mentee relationships have developed. And just a kind of a discussion forum for anything that might arise. It's, it's just running itself now. So it's really cool, but we have also had events and uh, we're trying to start doing a, some online kind of meetings or training uh, for skills mm-hmm. that women might feel that they're missing or issues that they would like to learn more about. I just think it's so nice for people to see um, that foresters look 
a whole range of different type of people just like the rest of the population and uh, that's really inspiring and you've also been involved with the YouTube series Mighty Jobs which is absolutely brilliant um, so tell us a little bit about how you've been traveling around doing these jobs yeah that's been really fun uh, definitely not something I ever would have applied to do or saw myself doing I feel kind of weird being on camera but uh I'm a host for a series for heavy equipment engines of all things. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've been to India, Norway, Finland, Spain, uh, a couple more places, Sweden a couple times, and just trying out these pieces of equipment and talking to the operators, and it's been really fun. Uh, I've learned a lot. Well, we've We've got links to, we're going to have links to both of those on our website, the Sharon Hosgood Associates website, Tree Lady Talks tab. So check it out. It's absolutely brilliant. And Amaima, you started off, you were concerned, as we all are in the UK, by the lack of people coming forward to train in trees and um, the outdoor world generally. So you really did something about that with Tree Sparks, didn't you? Uh, yeah. So I think when I initially got into forestry, I just... I just thought it was just me that didn't know anything about it existing. I thought everyone knows this. It's just because I've grown up in, in, a, in a farming community and I've never really left. You know, I, I went on holiday to the same location every year for the first 18 years of my life. So it's not like I was well-traveled mm -hmm. at all. And it was only after my first kind of two years at Bangor and I spoke to other people, other students, I was like, oh, no one really does. People still don't know this exists. And I remember I worked, yeah. I was really lucky to work as an activity instructor during the summers so I got to live in a forest and teach kids up bushcraft and take them on expeditions and just teach them about the natural world. And I remember one, one child, so they were all kind of, they're all at kind of the stage of they were deciding what they want to do with their lives, at stage of choosing which subjects to take and whether they're going to go to college or do A-levels. I remember talking to one young lad and um, I was like, oh, what are you going to do now? Now you've finished your GCSEs. He says, oh, I'm, I'm going to college to study business. I was like, oh, okay, it's just a fair, it's a good choice. Um, and I remember turned to me and go, oh, it'd be really cool though if you could just work in a forest, wouldn't it? And just, you know, decide what happens to the trees and look after. Oh, yeah. And it was that me going, oh, I'm doing that. And it's a real job and you can make money out of the yeah. trees. And the look of kind of amazement on his face. And I was, I think it took me that the next year he came back to the camp as a mentor. Um, and, you know, we recognised each other and I was, oh, how, how's it going? And it was just that, it was a really kind of heartwarming moment to, for him to go turn around oh yeah. was that thank you for telling me is like, oh, I I was like I jacked in business studies and I changed and I, I decided to study countryside management instead and I, I think Brilliant. it brought it home that if if a five minute conversation can have that sort of impact imagine yeah. what impact you could have if you actually put some some thought behind what you're doing so that's kind of how True Sparks was brought and so Tree Sparks has a website and it's aimed at 15 to 19 year olds isn't it and it's been really, really successful and we're all in awe of you for doing it. So do you have a, you have a team of volunteers who go into schools or, yeah, so, or how does it work? Um, we're quite lucky. I mean, obviously we've had some, some downtime during the, the pandemic, but we've been lucky that from the beginning we've always been like an online community. And I work with a team of, uh, it's a small team of us. We're all, um, we're all now, I think, Bangor graduates. Um, and I'm actually the only forester on the team which probably sounds bizarre, but I, I've managed to hijack people from different disciplines because they're good at different things, uh, mainly geographers. Um, so we're now, a, we're now a very geographically diverse team. I've got myself here in the Peak District. I've got another team member in Aberystwyth in Wales, another one in London. 
Um, and we kind of we kind of do all the behind the scenes business running and working out what we're going to do. And I normally come up with some wacky ideas that no one think will work, and then they end up working, and everyone else helps me help helps me do them. Um, but we're just starting to try and take on some interns uh, this coming year. So we're going to try and get some more students on board to. Obviously, it's not practical forestry skills, um, but we're trying to offer the softer skills that you don't really get the chance to learn about or experience at uni. So it's things like social mm-hmm. media management, uh, organisation, accounting, um, all those weird things that you wouldn't think were important for forestry, but actually when you get a job, you really they really are. They are. You have, to, yeah. you have to be good at talking to people that don't know about trees. You have to know where your money's yeah. going, where you're not going to make money. Um, and yeah, we've got lots of fun things coming up, so... That's absolutely brilliant and really, really inspirational because we have a problem, as you say, with young people just not knowing that there are these exciting jobs out there outside, be it forestry, arboriculture, landscape, ecology, and uh, we have a real shortage of people coming into university and those people taking up employment otherwise. So we really need role models like you and... um, and also we need a greater diversity in the industry, not just gender, but of all different people of all different backgrounds, because we can't keep talking in an echo chamber, can we? And we need great diversity of thoughts. So um, I just want to, want to close off, I always ask people what their dream scenario would be. And so I'll start with you, Lacey, if you could wave a wand in forestry, what would be your dream scenario? What do you really hope for? Uh, my dream would be if the general public uh, came to not love and appreciate forestry like I do and kind of have the understanding that people who work in the forest love the forest as much or more than they do. So to kind of just shift the tide of the public perception of forestry would definitely be my dream mm-hmm. perception, my dream scenario. Thank you. And Mima? Um, it's a really good question. I kind of echo Lacey's thoughts. I I love it for, for I suppose I'd love it for the public to all look at forests and think we're legends. Um, I I, be, I think my dream is for, I mean I love all the work I do of tree sparks, but I kind of, I suppose my long term aim is for tree sparks to not need to exist. I love the I love it for yeah. for young people to to get to doing A levels or to think about college or uni and to think oh yeah forestry yeah I'm gonna, I'm going to do that and I'd love. You know, I'd love forestry courses to be oversubscribed and um, I'd love for people for I'd love forestry to be a household word that people could use and not just think about guys with axes cutting down trees and then to think about wildlife you know restoration and public access and all the other things so I just yeah foresters as legends I think you two are both are both legends and I thank you so much for your time today. So really, we're saying that forestry is for everybody. It's about balancing timber extraction, providing the useful product and nature conservation and people's well-being. And it's an utterly fascinating career. So I just want to thank you so much for your time, both from Canada and the UK. And uh, take care. Thank you. Well, I have to say, I had no idea there was so much involved in forestry. It's a really complex job and one they absolutely love. 
And what's really interesting is the way that, you know, Mima is using Tree Sparks as a way of getting people involved in what she does. And, and Lacey is, you know, by being a presenter on a YouTube channel, is also advertising it in a different way. And bringing women together, women in wood. So if people can see foresters looking completely different to their expectations and stereotypes of a bloke with an axe, it's really inspiring. Next week, we're going in a completely different direction. We are, because we've got to address what's happening right now. And the government is saying we're going to build, build, build. Build, build, build. So we're going to be in conversation with a developer, Richard Collins from Landvest, to hear about how they consider the natural environment. Because we all need to work together to build better, vibrant living landscapes.